So to start with, I have a little announcement about the interviews. You see, this is uh, the first time that we had a strange experience with a group that uh, we put everything up and normally within a day everything is filled, 54 places for 54 people and it's sorted. But for some reason, uh, things have not filled up and then when people see that things are not filled up, they say, we should not let this go to waste. So they, nobody else wants it, I'll take it again. <laughs> so some people have signed twice, but because nobody else was signing up and they did not want to go the opportunity to go to waste. So now we end up having that the empty slots that were not used are gone back to emptiness where they were. And so if there are people who have not been able to sign up, who want to meet either Stephen or myself, then they can leave us a note on the board and then we'll find another time to meet them either after breakfast or after the evening meal, whatever. But you have the people who really want one and have not had one yet. <laughs> Leave a note and we'll uh, meet you, we'll find a time for you. So that's what I wanted to say. And next week we'll organize an interview differently. <laughs> uh, we'll be more clear about how it works. So this evening I would like to continue uh, in a way, talking a little about the theme of the day, feeling tone. Because I think be being aware of feeling tone and exploring, reflecting on feeling tone actually uh, is quite important. And uh, it's one of the four uh, foundations of mindfulness. And this is something the Buddha often talked about. And so I would like to start first by a quote, which I have kind of uh, shortened a little. And in it, the Buddha says, and it's back to what we've already started to talk about, dependent on the eyes and visible focus, visual consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact, with contact as condition, there arises pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feelings. One can make an end to suffering by abandoning the underlying tendency to grasp at pleasant feeling, to resist unpleasant feeling, and to ignore neutral feelings. So I'll look at it a little again. So what is, again, talking at what we've looked at is that first you need to have contact. So in a way, there is a fact that, you know, you can see, you come in contact with a visual object, and then upon that contact arise the feeling tone. And that's why he says, dependent on eyes and visible focus, visual consciousness arises, which Stephen talked about with the Nama Rupa. The meeting of the three is contact, and with contact as condition, there arises pleasant, 
unpleasant or neutral feelings. And this contact, personally I feel this is one of the important elements of the meditation practice, is to be aware of that moment of contact. Because generally, you have the moment of contact and extremely fast, you're already in the grasping, the rejecting, the story, the proliferating, etc. And so in a way, I feel that one of the work of meditation is to enable us in a way to be less so fast, so far, and then more come back to where it starts. Once I had this experience that I was uh, leading a retreat in uh, South Africa and it's hard to have people keep silence there. It's not easy. So we just had tell everybody to be silent and we told the staff, you know, to also be careful with the silence and things like that. And then, after all that story about silence, I come back to our room and I hear uh, one of the managers talking to somebody on the, on the retreat. And then I started to have this unpleasant feeling at all. I hear that we told all of them and really, you know, I mean, we're not never going to get it. And, you know, da, 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 da. she's not helping, da, 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 da. So, contact. And so, and then, you know, it kind of proliferated a bit. And then later on, uh, the manager came to me and actually explained to me why she was talking to that person because actually there was an emergency and she really needed to talk to that person. And what I realized was that the contact was a thing. The contact was the fact that I heard her talking. And then from that, because of the previous condition, arose this unpleasant feeling and then the proliferation of it. And I thought if I had not heard her talk, nothing would have happened. If we, have, if we did not have had the condition, I would have interpreted the thing very differently. Oh, she's talking, she must need to do it. Instead of, here we go again. And so I realized contact, that's, where, that's one of the key, condition of course, but contact, because you have the contact and there is a feeling tone and there, generally, off we go. And so in a way, all this meditation we're doing is to kind of, in a way, backtrack a little, become more aware of contact, and then back to, do we creatively engage with the contact and the feeling? Or do we grasp? And then <coughs> off we go. And then, that's what the, the Buddha point out. One can make an end to suffering by abandoning the underlying tendencies to grasp unpleasant feeling, to resist unpleasant feeling, and to ignore neutral feeling. And so this is a thing that it's nearly automatic. The fact that 
pleasant feeling arise and generally we want to repeat it, we want it to continue. I mean one very good example is when you have had a nice weekend with your friend. You had a wonderful weekend. Everything went so well. And then they leave and you say, let's do this again. Basically saying, you know, let's repeat this pleasant feeling tone. And actually we can never replicate. We can again have time with our friend, but that will be the time then with our friend, which we might have again pleasant feeling or not. But it's interesting that tendency we have. I want more of it. I mean, and it's a reason for the major decision on a retreat. Will I eat more? You know? <laughs> and generally it's because, mmm, that, that was nice. <laughs> I want more. And what is interesting, like if you're at home and there is a chocolate cake or ice cream or whatever, you know, you eat some, mmm, good. So a little more. A little more. And then, at one point, often, it becomes unpleasant. Because, you know, you get the toothache, or you get the stomach cake, or whatever. But it's interesting, because uh, we want the pleasant feeling to repeat, to continue, we want more of it. So it's kind of like, fairly. That's what the Buddha is just pointing out. He's not saying, you should not have pleasant feeling. You think it's a good idea to have pleasant feelings. But, what do we do with it? Do we grasp? Do we creatively engage? Because I think, to me, this is actually one essential component of the mindfulness, is that we become more aware of our pleasant feeling tone, so that we can see not everything is unpleasant. Because we seem to have, let's say, more of a radar for unpleasant. So then that's what seems to dominate. And then pleasant is normal. So then we're less aware of pleasant compared to unpleasant because of that radar effect. And so I would say this is one of the um, gifts of the mindfulness, that by making us more aware, right now, I am okay. Right now, I am peaceful, I am at ease, I am happy, I am joyful, whatever it is. And in a way, you can enjoy it even more, because you know it's not going to last. <laughs> you know, like the first day, I was sitting with you, and I thought it was so nice sitting with you. You were all sitting so well. And many times I thought, I was tempted to tell you. But I thought, no, 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 it's not going to last. <laughs> and if you tell them about it, it will go even faster. <laughs> but it was very pleasant. And it's still pleasant. So a little more up and down. But it's very interesting. It was very nice sitting with you here, being really all, in a way, right here really doing the meditation, knowing how to do it, and having that peaceful atmosphere. 
And that's enjoyable. I enjoyed it. And so in a way, to, to know that, to recognize it, and in a way not to take it for granted, but just to really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I am well, or somebody is well. Because this is another thing about pleasant feeling, is if somebody else is having pleasant feeling too, and generally they come to tell you about it, <laughs> what do you do? Well, because you think there is only so much pleasant feeling tone in the universe, <laughs> and if he has more of them, I'm going to have less of them. And so generally, very quickly, you question why they have such nice pleasant feeling tone. And very quickly, their feeling tone goes down to unpleasant. And they wonder if you're really their true friend. <laughs> Instead of, you know, we're rejoicing. If you rejoice in their pleasant feeling tone, you got pleasant feeling tone too, all the more. So anyway, in a way to see how are we with that? How do we recognize it? How do we appreciate them? And another one which is interesting to look at is what I would call grasping at a pleasant feeling tone that is not here. And then comparing that imaginary pleasant feeling tone that should be here, if only it was here, to the fact it's not here now. And then what is happening here now is even worse in <coughs> comparison to that imaginary one. And I think this often happens in meditation. Like, you know, you are 54 people here. And sometimes I have the feeling there are actually 108 people here. You know, that each person has an imaginary meditator next to him and her. And that imaginary meditator is amazing. <laughs> they have no thought. They have no pain. They're floating a little above the cushion. They're kind of a bit lit like a Christmas tree. <laughs> you know? And then compared to that, this one, pff, you know? <laughs> Not much, <laughs> not much. But this one, the imagined one, does not exist. <laughs> it does not exist. It's abstraction. So anyway, we have to be f careful because often that's what happens. We might be relatively okay, but then if we start to compare with that kind of future, must be, could be, if only pleasant feeling tone, then, in a way, it's really then start to make problem now. So in a way, to be careful with that, to be careful about this, what I call the anticipation of pleasant, negative anticipation of pleasant feeling tone with comparison. I'm not saying you should not, you know, look forward to your holiday. But if you look forward too much to your holiday, they might not be as good when you get there. You know, it's again, what is the level of anticipation? So in a way, with the pleasant feeling tone, to really know them, to really embody them, appreciate them, knowing they will pass at some point and something else will arise. But that doesn't stop me from enjoying it now. Because in a way, this is a thing when people 
tell me, you know, they worried that uh, either they're going to get Alzheimer's. Sometimes people tell me that, you know, but, but what if I get Alzheimer's? And I say, well, as long as you're worried about it, you're fine. <laughs> Once you get it, you won't worry about it anymore. <laughs> you know? The same as if you worry about dying. I mean, you're not dead yet, so <laughs> might as well enjoy it now. And then you'll see what happened then. So you need to see again the tendency to the anticipation. And then you have the unpleasant one. An unpleasant one, this is quite immediate. I don't like it. You know, I don't want it. You know, I can feel it here. I sit here. You know, and I've, I have all these kind of bites and things and things of that nature. And, you know, I try to be equanimous with them all. But then I sit here and I feel this little... And I kind of... Mm, what's going on? Is it something? Is it just the skin? And so I just observe and generally go. So I think, OK, it's OK. But it's like, you know, it's unpleasant. Or it's going to be unpleasant. <laughs> you know, it's again, when it's unpleasant, generally, we don't want it. We, we kind of, you know, we have, a, we have a tendency to tense around it, which actually often makes it worse, this tension around it. This, because back to this amplification effect. So unpleasant feeling tone, I mean, they're not fun. So it's normal we don't want to have them. But at the same time, they are a little unavoidable. It's not that we want them uh, on purpose, but that it happens. They happen. And so, in a way, how can we creatively engage with them? And I think really one of the key is back to the characteristics. I think with the unpleasant feeling tone, one of the key is knowing it can change. Also knowing within themselves they can change. And also seeing that they're not always there. That generally they arise out of condition. But the thing is, because it's unpleasant, generally we have quite fast this intensification effect. If I have a difficult thought, if I have a difficult feeling, if I have a difficult sensation, if I have a difficult uh, relationship or a problem, generally very quickly you get this magnification and then that really increases the unpleasantness. And, and since we're very sensitive generally to unpleasant feeling, it goes very fast. I remember some time ago, suddenly I, I had an attack of pain. And I had the feeling it was unpleasant. And I had the feeling I had pain everywhere. Like there was nearly pain outside of myself. There was so much pain. It was so painful. Everything was painful. And so of course that worried me, you know, what's happening? What is all this pain? Am I going to die in the next minute or something? And then I thought, wait a minute. Is it really as painful as that everywhere in the body? So then I did body scanning. So instead of going into the amplification effect of reaction to the unpleasant feeling 
because of the painful sensation, I went into the looking deeply. And then I started with the head. Head, no pain. Look at the hand, no pain. Arms, fine. Upper part of the body, fine. Feet, fine. And then, I, you know, I started to, to locate it. To see actually the pain was in a usual place where often I have pain. And then it was very different experience from this, <gasps> this is too much, to, ah, okay, this is located. It's not fun, it's unpleasant. And then if it's unpleasant, I can take a painkiller and see what happened. And I took the painkiller and it did go for a bit. So I thought, okay, it's not so bad. If it had not gone at all, then I would have worried. So in a way, you have an unpleasant feeling tone, and we have to be careful that the idea of the awareness, the mindfulness, is not just sitting there, unpleasant, unpleasant minus five, <laughs> very unpleasant minus five. I must just be with it. It will pass. Unpleasant. I mean, I don't think that's the idea. But in a way, the creative engagement, sometimes, yes, we have to be with pain. But then how are we with the unpleasantness, the unpleasant feeling tone we have from the pain? Many years ago, I used to get uh, bouts of really, really bad pain due to an undiagnosed condition. And my greatest fear was if ever I was in an airplane, and suddenly I had this, it really, really would be really difficult to cope, being, you know, four hours or more in the plane with that condition, which was really painful. And generally I had to take tons of plane clearer before anything kind of could change a bit or whatever. And so finally I am in Italy, I am in the airport, and just as I go into the plane, it starts. And I thought, oh, oh. And then instead of going again in the magnification of it, this is awful, this is terrible, I can't deal with it. I thought, okay, back to the meditation. Just try to be with it. Just, I mean, I took some painkiller too, but just try to be with it. Just try to, just be with it, just be with it, just be with it. And actually it was so much easier because again, you did not have the magnification effect. And I also could see it came, it went, and I survived it. So in a way, it's to see, in a way, as the Buddha says, if as soon as we have the unpleasant feeling tone, we push away, we reject. As soon as we do this, we magnify. And then, in a way, it becomes harder to be able to deal with it, to be with it. So in a way, it's kind of like, Unpleasant feeling tone is part of life. Doesn't mean it's always unpleasant. But how can the mindfulness help me in terms of that non-amplification, in terms of being able to creatively engage with it, not just be with it, suffer, but what can I do about this? How can I be with this? And then you also have the same effect as with the pleasant feeling tone, which is a grasping in the future to an unpleasant feeling tone. So right now you're totally fine, but then you think, but what if 
this happen? Or what if that happen? And then you get it. Yeah. When it was not there whatsoever. Or you go into the past. That is also interesting. You had an unpleasant feeling tone in the past. You sit there and you start to think about it. This was so bad. This was so terrible. And you feel it. It's like you were back there. So I'm not saying you should not think about the past. But I think it's very important to see that right now, the unpleasant feeling tone is not here. And yes, it happened. But it happened in the past. And in a way, how can we live it in the past? How can we learn from it, creatively engage with it in such a way that it doesn't have to be now? And then the future, we have no idea. But the thing is that the, thing, the problem with anticipation is abstraction. The fact when we anticipate, especially uh, negatively, it's abstraction. So you can go into this huge thing. You can really go into this really frightening yourself and nearly having a heart attack, one could say. I remember when I was in, tomorrow we're going to do the questioning meditation. And one of my fear when I was younger was to be in the dark at night. And in Korea, you had to go to the bathroom in the night. <coughs> and then I would go out in the outside in the dark, and I would, my heart would start to go beat so fast. I was afraid somebody with a knife was going to get me. I mean, it was, <gasps> you know, and run back to the room, and it was very frightening. And then we decided to do a non-sleep week. And I really did not mind about sitting all day and all night. No problem with that. The problem I had was going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I thought, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack after seven days of that. So I go to Master Cousin. I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm afraid in the night. I have all this unpleasant feeling. You know, what can I do? And he said, ask the question, which is a practice. What is this? And so I thought it was going to be a magical talisman against a bad guy out there. So that's what I did during the non-sleep week. I would go outside in the night. What is this? What is this? What is it? 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 And then I realized that actually it was not a magic thing. But you could say it was a magic of the present. That each time I asked, what is this? I was coming back to the present. And I was coming back to who would know that I was there in the middle of nowhere in the mountain in Korea to come and get me? <laughs> so the self-importance going down a bit. <laughs> and then after that, the unpleasant feeling tone really went down because of that shh de-amplification effect. And in a way, I think that's what the mindfulness can help us with in terms of the pasting, in terms of the anticipation, to in a way back to what is really going on. How can I creatively engage with this? And then you have the third one, neutral feeling tone. And I'm very keen on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stephen doesn't think it exists, but 
that's okay too. And the thing about neutral feeling tone, and in a way I would say meditation, a meditation retreat, is an excellent opportunity to discover neutral feeling tone and to discover it's quite fine. Because we have a very bad association with neutral feeling tone. Because for us, it's very much associated with boring. <laughs> it's boring. I am boring. Life is boring. And off you go into all kind of dark stuff. But I think in a way, meditation, a lot of it is really neutral. Nothing happened. But why nothing is happening? Because Nothing is happening because we're in silence and we're sitting and there is a schedule and this is it. People cook the meal. It's not like being at home. At home, yes, things happen. And there is less opportunity for a neutral feeling too. And then I think at home, it's wonderful. When I'm at home and nothing happens, I think, great. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is happening. I can just rest. And I feel myself going to this resting posture, like a meditation posture. Ah, nothing is happening. Okay. Because I know it won't last. You know, my mother might call me, she has this or that, I must find this or that, or who knows? Something will happen and then it will change. But while it's there, I can enjoy it. I can rest in it. And this is what is interesting. The Buddha said, to not ignore neutral feeling tone, but to get to know neutral feeling tone. And as, uh, as it is said in, in one of the sutta, if you don't understand neutral feeling tone, it becomes unpleasant. If you understand neutral feeling tone, it becomes pleasant. That's why Stephen believes it doesn't exist. <laughs> but personally, I feel there is a neutral feeling tone, and why I think it's important to get more familiar with it is because personally I feel it's a baseline. And it's kind of the baseline from which our feeling tone are going to go up and are going to go down. But I have the feeling that a lot of the time we have what I would call an imaginary baseline, and our imaginary baseline is number five pleasant. And then everything above is good, and anything underneath is not so good. So I mean, there is lots of opportunity for unpleasant feeling tone there. But I feel if we bring the baseline down to neutral feeling tone, then we are more to go up, and I would say we have a bit less to go down. So it gets a little more balanced. There is more equilibrium in terms of the feeling tone. And so I think in a way to look a little at what is my relationship, I would say, to neutral feeling tone, to nothing happening. How can I be with this? Because of course, it is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Because we associate, because this is a lot to do with identity. It's a lot to do with the self. We feel more ourselves when we do something, especially if we do something worthwhile then our, our sense of worth is associated with acting, doing. And in a way, being able to rest in the neutral feeling tone is getting more used to just being. 
And I think in a way we need to be, to rest in just being, in order to actually recharge our battery. We cannot be on all the time. We need to have a little pause so that we're not feeling intensely all the time because this is actually very tiring. So in a way, it doesn't <coughs> mean, also it doesn't mean that we must be on neutral all the time, but that actually we go up and down and then we can rest. We can have a little of a pause in the neutral feeling tone. And then another thing I wanted to mention was another thing we can do, starting from the feeling tones, is what I call feeling sensation, emotional sensation. And this is a meditation, this is more like a, an idea I have, it's not in the sutta. But we could move from being aware of the feeling tones to actually bring the same kind of mindfulness to being aware of our emotional sensation in the body. Because you see, emotion, generally, it goes very fast. We feel something and then we in it and it generally takes us over. And I think what is interesting, especially on a retreat where normally not too much is happening, is to go and look, where do I feel emotion? Where do I feel my emotional sensation? And once somebody was telling me he used to feel them in his back of his neck. I mean, personally, I feel them more in the middle of my torso, sometime in my belly. And I think it's interesting to see where do I feel them. Generally, we don't feel them in our toe or our hands, so sometimes you can feel them uh, stressed. But a lot of the time, it's in the middle of our body. So in a way, we feel it inside our body. So going to that emotional feeling sensation, and then instead of going quickly into the naming of it, because often we have an emotion, and we name it, and then we go into the story of it. And I think the meditation, especially if the feeling emotion is not, feeling sensation is not too intense, we can go in it without naming, if we can, and just how does it feel? How is it? And what we find is that actually a lot of the time it's just a funny feeling, a funny sen feeling sensation around the heart or around the body that actually is changing, moving. Sometimes it's lighter, sometimes it's heavier, sometimes it's agitated. Sometimes it feels sticky or hard. But then sometimes, if you go there in meditation, you might not find much. And then you might think, oh, but I am not feeling anything. I must be a terrible person. And I would say, no. You're not feeling anything because not much is going on. And so again, not associating this spot with always feeling something there. We generally will feel something there if something happened. If nothing happened, back again to neutral. We'll have this relatively neutral feeling, emotional sensation. And knowing how does it feel when we don't feel so much, not feel so intensely. Because I think we have a very strong uh, association with what I would call intense emotional sensation. <coughs> and the problem is when we try to deal with emotional sensation or habit at that level, 
It's extremely difficult. And I think one of the things meditation can help us is to see that actually there is different level. You have <coughs> light, habitual, and intense. And if we wait to deal with it when it's intense, it's going to be very tricky, very difficult. And the easiest place to deal with it is when it's light. And that's why it becomes interesting, in a way, to become aware with the meditation of our emotional pattern, emotional habit. It's like there is this groove in which we can go easily. And then you can see sometimes it's just a little something. Then sometimes it's, it's a little more sticky. It's kind of there. And then sometimes it's like the whole intense thing. Let me give an example. Let's take anger. And I think it's very important to see that we're not trying to get rid of anger. Anger is an <coughs> emotion, which is a creative functioning of the organism. Anger gives us energy, basically. So to see that there is some point, there is some function of it. I know in Buddhism, anger has a very bad press. And then the Buddhists are not angry, but then they're resentful. <laughs> so, you know, they look very nice, but underneath, very resentful, which personally I don't think it's much better than anger. So the thing is that anger is these things to make us act, to make us move. It's kind of energetic. And then the problem with it is that it's fiery, it's explosive. So then when it's intense, it's extremely difficult to control because it's kind of, you know, like Big Bang. And so, in a way, if we try to work with anger when it's like that, it's nearly impossible because the energy is so strong <coughs> that it takes us over. I remember some years ago, I was suddenly, ah, I was so difficult. We were with talking, a group of us, teachers, trying to resolve a situation, and there was one of the fellows saying, no, I'm not going to that. And I got so frustrated that finally I exploded, <laughs> you know. I am French from the South, so it comes more naturally to me. <laughs> and, you know, I exploded, and then it passed like all things, and then I kind of apologized. But what was very clear to me was that when I was in that state, I could not speak properly. I could not make sense. There was no wisdom. There was just this energy. I could not do much with it. Of course, later on, I still thought what I was trying to point out was important. So after that, there was what I did was the email. Because <laughs> I went back home. And I went, you know, first email, and it's like aggressive. Second email <laughs> in the head. I did not send it. Less aggressive. Then by the fourth email, I just had the tone I wanted. Firm, but precise. <laughs> but not all over the place. And then the, the person received it and said, yeah, I mean, we don't agree, but thank you for sending, you know, this email. So anyway, to see that anger generally will make us lose wisdom. This is a problem with it. So in a way, then it's better to try to work with it when it's more at the, at the habitual level. And how does it feel? Anger when it's habitual. When it's habitual, you feel irritable. You feel a little like this, irritable. 
And it's like, this energy has to go somewhere. <laughs> and so generally, you look for somebody <laughs> to be the recipient of it. And then what can be useful with the mindfulness is to look. I am not always like that, looking for somebody to get angry with. So what are the conditions? What are the triggers? What are the contributing factors? And I would say one of the big one is tiredness. I mean, that's what I, I noticed with myself many years ago. Certainly, I would kind of pick quarrel. I would kind of look for somebody to pick a quarrel with. Generally, I found Stephen. <laughs> and uh, he would say, but I have not done anything. And I would think, that's true. He's not done anything. Why do I feel that way? <laughs> and then I tracked it back and back to the contact of the tiredness. So now when I'm tired, I go and rest. And then I'm a much nicer person. Then you have the light level. And that's also interesting to know, because you can go quickly from the light <laughs> to the intense, because it's fiery like that. And light, you can really uh, do this in the supermarket queue. You know, you are in the queue, huge queue, uh, the person doesn't have the right kind of thing, so it, uh, your things happen, you have to phone, da 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 da. And then, you know, you kind of feel your body like kind of <laughs> pushing mentally the whole thing, you know? You know, and when I am in the supermarket queue, which is always the wrong queue, the other one always goes faster, <laughs> I do a lot of meditation. I just see this, and then I just, okay, back to the body, back to the standing meditation. Just be here, just be now. And then you just, uh, just mindful, and then you feel the little thing, the little fire, the little energy. Mm, come back from that. And in a way, playing with that, trying to, in a way, to feel these patterns. I mean, there are many different patterns. But I think what is useful in terms of the meditation is that we're not trying to get rid of the emotion. But how can we have an emotional feeling, sadness, anger, whatever it is? And actually, it doesn't become a disturbing emotion. Because once it becomes a disturbing emotion, generally, we go into the magnification total identification, and then it's very hard because it's very intense. And in a way, if we want to work with the intense, we first have to learn to work with the light, the habitual, and then it becomes easier. Because what happens is that intense will happen. We have to be careful that because we meditate, it doesn't mean we won't have intense feeling. That I think is very important. You know, often I think there is a myth that one day nothing will disturb me. I mean, this is a growl of meditation. One day nothing will disturb me. But I don't think that's a point, not to be disturbed by anything. I think the point is to creatively engage with everything. And so, of course, but to see that if we really know the feeling better, then we won't go so much in the amplification. And then you still have the feeling, and generally it will go so, so much faster. 
I know for myself, this is a little my tendency. And now I get angry for five minutes. And so I feel the heat, I feel the feel. And I tell myself, no, 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 and then poof! Because <laughs> there is energy. And then it goes. If I don't identify with it, with the story, and with the past, and with the future, but just, okay, I am upset because I am frustrated, or this, or that, or whatever it is. It will arise. And I think in terms of anger also, to see anger can be creative. Like any other emotion, it can be creative, it can make us act. And I think a lot of people who are activists, in a way, have that anger. Anger at injustice, anger at many different things. But if you're taken over by it, then it's hard to be what I would call totally effective for yourself and others. But if you use it in a balanced way, then I think it can give us a lot of energy to act and to do something in the world. So in a way, trying to look in terms of feeling tone, in terms of feeling sensation, and also exploring our emotional habits as we sit here, as we walk, as we are in this retreat. So that's what I wanted to say today. Are there any questions or questions? Yes. Behind and then. No, behind first. Um, I've been thinking about the fears in particular, but also the emotions that we don't feel. And the ones, for example, a fear of being left out, which may be something that drives one's behavior. And you kind of, you know it's there, but you don't actually register it in your feelings. And maybe when you meditate, it's not something that comes into your mind. But objectively, it's something which determines and limits parts of your life. I'm interested in, in any thoughts you have on whether meditation can contribute to uncovering as well as experiencing those sort of fears and emotions that we've dealt with all too well. You see, I think what the mindfulness can help us to do, I mean, again, we have to see, is it really blind? Because sometimes we do things and we're really blind to it. It's like there is a disconnect. I have seen it in some friends. We can point it out to them and they say, no, I don't do this, when we all see them doing it. So I think if, as long as there is not this disconnect, because if you have the disconnect, then it's extremely difficult to see it. But if you don't have that, then I think what the meditation can help us to do is first to start to know what does it feel when we, f how does it feel? Because there'll be an unpleasant feeling. Something happened, somebody does not invite you or you left out in a certain way. And you might, you know, convince yourself it doesn't matter. But you feel a little, Ooh! and then in a way, starting to look at that little, mm, how does it feel? What, what does it feel in the body? How is it? And then to look in the mind, because I think it's very important to see, I'm talking of emotion, but mental patterning work together with sensation and emotion. And then to look, what is a story? Because you see, we tell ourselves a lot of things, 
which we're generally not aware of. Because it's so, that's what we think. We're so used to it. And I feel, for example, the meditation we'll do tomorrow can be also interesting at that level of questioning. And questioning our thought, what am I really thinking right now? What is the vocabulary I use? What is the story am I telling myself? Is this true? So in a way to see how we construct it. And so personally, that's what I thought with the meditation, that it helped me to see how my thoughts were constructed, what I was telling to myself. And it made it much more clear, much more clear. But at the same time, also to be aware of that little feeling, because the feeling will generally develop the thought. The thought will also reinforce the feeling. So that's what I'm saying. Instead of thinking of meditation, I'm just supposed to be with the breath. You are with the breath as an anchor. But at the same time, other things are going on. And so time to time, you can just look. How does it feel? How, what am I saying here? But you are right. One experiences much more in daily life. And that's why what I would say is, when we are here trying to see what is it I think, what is it I feel, and generally not much, most of the time. But if you get used to look at it, to put, it, again, to put your focus on it, to see I can look at it there, when you are in daily life starting to look, what is happening? And to me, that was my major breakthrough with anger. When finally, finally, instead of being the anger, and that was what it was, and there is nothing I could do about it, I started to really experience it, instead of thinking about it, abstracting about it. I, and so w once one day I was upset about something, and then finally, with the power of creative awareness, I really went inside the body. And I realized I was shaking. I was like that. And I realized I am doing this. Nobody is doing this to me. And it totally went. It went. And then I looked into the mind. What, what was going on in my mind for me to feel so strongly? And I was going, I am right. She is wrong. I am right. She is wrong. And in that <coughs> moment, I saw that she was certainly thinking the same way, but in the opposite manner. And it made me laugh. In a way, it made me see how conditioned it was, how we each were right and wrong up to a point. So I would say it's kind of like, Looking at it, but again, with that, what I call that caring, careful, balanced awareness. You're not trying to find the bad guy. But you're just trying to see, how does this work? How does this come together to lead to this or that action or this or that feeling or thought? And then he. Yes, um, it kind of leads into what I was going to say when you said about the emotional sensations and you're, it said it's not in the suttas, but it's very much what we do with experiential psychotherapy. You know, we're kind of helping people to actually feel in their body, notice what it's like, associated with the thoughts, just notice whether it changes as we're paying attention with it together. And it ties in a bit with what Stephen was saying about um, 
knowing something fully, like the the twelve aspects of the four, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not noble truths. Um, so just he was saying not noble truth, just the four. Mm -hmm. So the twelve aspects of the four. The first one is knowing it. So the part of the knowing it. So of course, given that if we practice meditation, we're doing it ourselves and you know, hopefully remembering to do it more often than just the once a week or once a fortnight with a therapist because that's going to take forever, if at all, you know? Yeah, no, 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 no. To me, I would see, I would really see that what we do here, yeah. every day what we do is we cultivate a tool of awareness mm. that then, in order for it to really become activated, we need to apply in daily life. And in daily life, there is so many opportunity. And of course, at time, we'll forget it because we take taken over. But that should not stop us from how does it feel? How long is it going to last? Is this true, what I'm telling myself? So in a way, engaging with what arises. Yes? Yeah, yeah, the thing is, that's what I think is so important to see the conditionality of it. Because often what we have associate with habits is, I am always like this. But actually, we are not always like this at all. We don't feel left out all the time. We don't feel angry all the time. And so what becomes interesting is that, when is it it happens? When is it that it does not happen? Because sometimes in the same circumstances, it might not happen. Then you think, wait a minute, it's exactly the same circumstances, but it does not happen. And often it means that although the trigger is here, the contributing factor is not there. And so often I think things happen because you have the pattern, you have the trigger, and you have the contributing factors. And that's why personally I think we need also to look at the contributing factor like tiredness, sleeplessness, stress, and know that, ah, I am tired, I have to be careful. I am stressed, I am to be careful. Because then I am more likely to do this, I am more likely to do that, especially if the trigger happens. So of course, yes. Yes? Um, just as you're speaking, what came to me is really long plane flights when you're, you know, say Europe to Australia, uh, when you're, you're really confined in spaces, you're tired, you can't sleep, you know, all those things. You know. um, my experience is I can work with it for a while, but then, I don't know, you just can't anymore. No, that's why you've got the movies. <laughs> <laughs> And then if you, uh, but then if you get stuck on Jetstar, 
and then you can't get movies. <laughs> books. Bring lots of books. You see, this is, I know that. I know that, that, you know, if I, in airports, on plane, yeah, of course I can meditate a bit. But seven hours? When, you know, I have pain in the back, I can't sleep, I'm all out of it. So then, now I prepare myself. Because I know that otherwise it's going to be relatively unpleasant. Though I thought with Jetstar it was so interesting, because then I had no choice. I prepared a bit. But actually, I did more meditation. Because there was, I thought, okay, Jetstar, you know, low cost. And it was quite easy, actually, just to be there and be mindful and be okay. <laughs> so again, I think sometimes we get, not, I would say, too soft. But we say, okay, you know, this way I'm sure I'll be okay. When actually we might be more easily okay than we think we are. But I agree, we need to help ourselves. Because we might not necessarily uh, have enough not to go over the threshold. Where then it's just in a confined space. You yeah. have nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. You can't react wise in, in, other, in the ways you might normally. Of course. <laughs> okay, and we have to stop here. And uh, there is a little walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.